Hey guys, welcome to Jammin' and Jammies. I'm Megan Barker. We are sitting down with some of our favorite music creators and industry leaders to find out how what they got where they are, as well as valuable insights into the music industry. You can watch the interviews online or tune into the podcast. We also do a live stream every Sunday night on Instagram, so make sure you check out jamminandjammies.com for all the details. Today we are sitting down with the president and CEO of Deggy Entertainment, Ari Nisman. Deggy Entertainment is one of the world's leading talent buyers. On average, they do 3,000 events a year in 30 different countries. And since the start of the pandemic in 2020, they've done over 1,500 virtual events. I'm really excited to hear about that. Um, <laughs> they booked artists like Blake Shelton, Florida Georgia Line, Imagine Dragons, Luke Bryan, Ludacris, and Bob Dylan, y'all. So we have a lot to talk about. Let's welcome him. Ari, how you doing? I'm doing terrific today. How are you? I'm doing so good. I'm like winded from talking about everything that you've done. It's amazing. Um, do you want to just start by telling everyone like where you're from and how you got into music? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, original product of New York City, living in Jersey most of my life, to school at Michigan, which is why most people will always see me decorated with Michigan wear somewhere around uh, the internet. And then uh, got smart and said it was time to go to warm weather and now reside down in South Florida. And it was in college at Michigan where I really kind of got my start in the music business. I was, uh, you know, regularly in the fraternity booking kind of the bands that came through and took a love to music and thought it might be a good, you know, opportunity for me post-college. And sure enough, signed my first band while I was in school and took off from there and never looked back. Wow. Okay. So you signed your first band. You were their official booker. Were you managing them too? It actually started as a management company. So before there was, now we call it Deggy Entertainment in our virtual world, Deggy World, there was really the original was Deggy Management Services Incorporated. And for many years, we were just a management company. So there was a band that was selling out all of the rooms around Ann Arbor, Michigan. And every time they played my fraternity, they were the big hit. And so, you know, I tried to convince them for about six months to be their manager. They said no a whole bunch of times. And until they realized they just didn't have another option, they said, we'll give it a shot. And we, we got them to a, a record deal that didn't wind up getting executed, but with a division of Warner Brothers, uh, the band eventually broke up. But it was that start in Michigan and managing my first band that led to other management clients coming along and then eventually the building of the booking agency and everything that followed. What a wild ride. Can you explain what exactly your job is on a daily basis and how big of a company, how many people work for Deggy? Uh, well, after adding a new young lady this morning, I think we're now at either 15 or 16 strong. Uh, so fortunately, while many have uh, uh, unfortunately followed a negative fate and many of my agency brethren have had trouble you know, adding to their agencies during the pandemic, we were quickly pivoting. And so we actually have added plus employees during the entire COVID situation. But, um, you know, the, the, the company took a while to develop. It's, you know, I don't think I have a regular job every day or the regular same thing that I do every day. Um, what I will say is that my job has changed significantly as a CEO during COVID than it was pre-COVID. But um, a talent buyer and a booking agent's job are a little bit different. We do both. Our roster are the acts that we are the main agent for, and we handle most of their college, military, and other bookings, the areas that we excel in. And then we pair up with major agencies that handle their other booking business. And then as a talent buyer, we actually, instead of representing the client, we represent the buyer. So if a military base or a college or a corporation wants to buy talent, 
they're our client and we go to other agencies to book the major artists. So the nice thing about what we do is because we have so many different divisions here, we're kind of doing something different every single hour of every day. It keeps things interesting, I imagine. It does. I, <laughs> I would say, you know, now throw in virtual, which has a couple of different avenues for us and is a new pivot. But even pre-COVID, the nice thing is, you know, you get to travel the world. We're on the road most of the time. We've never had um, over the last couple of years an actual main office. We did back in the day, but we've all been virtual for years. So it made the transition uh, very easy for us because it was what we normally did. The most difficult trans transition for most of us is working from our own desk rather than working from a computer desk at a, at a college or a military base or even a hotel somewhere. So the lack of travel was probably the biggest strange thing for my folks. But uh, every day is something different and something new, which is what I love about this business. Not traveling has been an adjustment for everyone in the music world. Can you speak to how you guys seem to pivot so quickly into virtual shows? Yeah, I mean, I think some of it has to do with having your back up against the wall, right? Like on March 13th, you can either sit on the couch, eat Cheetos and watch Netflix, or you can get your butt up and realize that your back is against the wall and you're going to have to figure out some sort of solution for your own clients who rely on you to pay their rent and, and food every single day. And for your buyers, like I mentioned, who have you know now a whole bunch of events that they need to find a way to still continue happening in the virtual sense. So a lot of this was you know simply forced with my back against the wall. It's a lot of sleepless nights, still is, but certainly was at the beginning of the pandemic. And we knew really quickly that we were gonna have to challenge ourselves to be the best in virtual and get right out of the gate and do something about it. So two weeks in, we had already conceptualized three or four different programs with the flagship one being this whole Friday Night Live concept where we would offer a free artist and then many artists every Friday night. Uh, Hunter Hayes, a friend of mine, gave me the, you know, the first night and said, I'll give it a shot with you and let me see what we can do together. And then many others like Plain White Tees and All American Rejects and Thompson Square and Lee Bryce and others um, did me a favor the same way I've, you know, continued to book them and uh, put shows in their direction over the years. So they all answered the call. And what we did was every night we were learning to build virtual in the background, how to push the buttons and the better platforms and the better camera, you know, uh, usages, um, how to use graphics and overlays and lower thirds. And what we were really doing is providing a free product for all of our buyers and really helping them every Friday night to, to cathartically get through this pandemic through music like many of us needed to and still need to. And then at the same time, we were teaching ourselves virtual and we got very good at it very quickly. And that allowed us to really kind of get out of the gate and get on our way. You guys just hit the ground running. It's, it's like you knew. It's almost like you knew this was going to happen. It's amazing. Um, I would love to know, I'd be very interested to know, how did you build these massive connections with the military and the colleges when Deggy was starting out? Well, I can't say it was when Deggy was started out because, um, as I mentioned, we, we started a, a management company. And the only reason I built a booking agency in 2001 was because I couldn't get anybody to return my call and book any of my management clients. And uh, we were already doing it ourselves de facto. And um, when the CAAs, William Morris's, you know, back then, little big bands and paradigms and everybody turned you down, you got to find some option. And so starting our own was that option. 
Um, and so it took some time where we were actually competing against the major agencies. We were booking the Colonel Bruce Hamptons and, you know, many other, a lot of jam bands early in the day, because that's what we were gravitating to as an agency. But we felt like we were competing against them. And I knew that at some point we were not going to compete against, you know, the machines that are out there, which are the great agencies that I love and adore. And so we needed it to be more of a genre or a niche or something based agency in order to find our own path. And uh, we got lucky that a, a, a client that we had uh, kind of called us and said, hey, by the way, I've got an artist that's performing at a college conference. You guys do college booking. And like anybody, I'd just say, yeah, of course we did. And then uh, we showed up there, represented them a few weeks later as our first college client at our first college conference. And we hit it out of the park. But what we learned was this was a real market that we could you know, really takes a market share. And from there, it led to college after college and a lot of successes and really throwing our feet in the water there. And then if you think about it, the college market and the military op market operate very similarly. It's an 18 to 25 or so year old age range. Um, they tend to like music that isn't going to get people really in trouble, right? They can younger demographics, safer entertainment. And so we got lucky that there was a meeting that was going on in Las Vegas of a lot of the military buyers. Uh, nobody really showed up, but I did. And it started our foray into the uh, side of the military business that now has led to us, uh, I believe, being one of the largest, if not the largest military buyer in the world. So. Unbelievable. You know, I love stories like this where it just seems like you're the kind of person you've built this from the ground up where you just say yes to everything and you figure it out later. Would you agree with that? You know, I, Mark Cuban, um, who I adore a lot of the way he runs business. Some people may not, but I think he's uh, brilliant. And we now have a actually, uh, ironically enough, a business that he helped fund that we work with a great deal. Um, I remember an interview with him uh, in the early days where he had to walk into an office and somebody presented him a project and he had absolutely no idea how to complete it, but he said, absolutely, yes. And then he went out and found the right you know, people to go out and build it for him and be successful. And I believe it was the start of a multi-billion dollar company that he sold early in the days. And it's always resonated with me. And, and I said, you, you may not always have the right answers and you may not always be able to do it yourself, but if you surround yourself with great people and you have a great contact uh, and Rolodex of relationships, then you can basically accomplish anything, at least in the music business. And I've prided myself on, um, you know, keeping a very extensive Rolodex and keeping very good relationships with a lot of people across many different business lines because you don't know where you're going to need to touch next. Um, I think Clubhouse has uh, helped me, um, a new app that's out there, of course, which we can talk about. But I think it's even, you know, not only rekindled some of my old relationships with folks that weren't necessarily on my current periphery, but also helped me to build a lot new contacts into that Rolodex. But I think if you do that and you surround yourself with good people, you can generally get the job done most of the time, even if you don't know the answer right away. Absolutely. I would say that I think good business people, and I'm young, I'm still figuring it out, but you just have to know how to delegate. You don't have to know how to do everything. Find somebody, figure it out. Um, I love that you mentioned Clubhouse. I was just going to say, you guys, I actually found Ari on Clubhouse. If you're not on Clubhouse, get on there. It's so cool. Um, I mean, have you met new people on Clubhouse or do you think it's just a good way to rekindle old relationships? Because I've certainly done that too. Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. I mean, yeah. um, I have folks that I used to, uh, ironically enough, pitch music to in the management days. One guy, and I won't mention him, but um, he was the uh, head of A&R at a major label. 
and I would pitch him probably stuff monthly. And we joked recently when we rekindled on the app and he had to apologize and said, sorry, I never signed one of your acts. I said, I don't know if any of them were good enough for you to sign. It's okay. And, uh, but we now speak, you know, uh, constantly on Instagram and we're in rooms together all the time and we've rekindled that relationship, but I've met tons and tons of new people. And I feel like I have tribes in each of the areas that I work in. I've got a tribe of people that are in the booking and the touring side of things. I've got a tribe of general music industry people that aren't necessarily booking and touring, but have that sense of, you know, peripheral touch to what we do in the entertainment business. I've got a tribe of virtual events people and I'm involved with an amazing club uh, called the Virtual Expe uh, uh, Experiences and uh, Collective. Um, and, you know, you know, Rachel and Bray and some of these folks that started this virtual group, Veek, um, you know, are masters of virtual and I leaked into the virtual world. They've been doing it even pre-pandemic. And so I learn off of that new tribe with some of these folks in the Experiences Collective. So I, I think I've kind of developed all sorts of new touch points, which is what I love so much and why I'm hosting so many rooms in there around things I do, because I think every time you step on stage or every time you can offer something good on that stage to other people, that I think it brings you a whole new set of relationships and contacts. Yeah, and I've done so many interviews with people now, and they they say that they're very they're actually very shy and introverted, and I think that seems to be a trait in the music industry. Creative people tend to be kind of shy. Um, I feel like Klaus is a good, really good way to to kind of break the ice with somebody. Um, it's all about relationships in this industry. I'm sure you agree. It doesn't matter if it's creative or professional. So. Get on Clubhouse yep. if you're not on there, guys. Um, I feel like there's a lot of ground to cover with new artists. Um, how do new artists, independent or otherwise, come to you? Are they brought by management? Do you discover them? Yeah, I think um, what I've realized over the last couple of years is you can find any artist through any relationship or contact you have, and there's no probably one best way to find them. I have attorneys that pitch me acts. I have management that come to me directly. I've got plenty of artists that come to me directly, you know, with genuine, you know, first pitches coming right out of their own mouths. And I need you to help me advance my career. Um, and I have relationships with other major agencies where they have an artist, but they haven't developed them in the college or military or corporate side. And they come to us and we tag team that artist to try and build a relationship. So I don't think there's you know one right way, wrong way, or one way I get my artists. We also do quite a bit of A&R scouting. We're out there on the internet. I have people in my office, um, you know, just organically off our website. We get a lot of people that just hit us right there and fill out a submission form. And then we take a look at it and many we've signed. And now on Clubhouse, I, I, you know, I, I think I'm probably on average five to 10 acts a day, if not more when I do a panel where right afterwards, my Instagram is, you know, bing, bing, bing with new opportunities and new artists that are looking for, you know, whether it be my help to give them some guidance or to sign with our agency. So I think that's the cool thing is really they're coming at us in so many different ways. Um, and that's why, you know, I try and keep so many extensive Rolodex relationships so that I can get new acts and then we can hopefully find the right ones that fit our agency. It must be a lot of responsibility. You've got so many people coming at you that want something from you. Since so many of our followers are aspiring artists, um, I'm curious to know, does one thing matter more than the other when your people are scouting? Is it social media numbers? Does it matter to you if they're independent or if they have a team? Um, is it about the music? What is it that is like a whole package that's attractive for you guys? So I think my space is probably one of the most unique in the music touring business 
And it's very much unlike what probably most agencies look for. Because military, college, corporate, the stuff we do is what we consider B2B. It's business to business. It's not business to consumer where you're buying a ticket or what I like to think is that B2C side of the company, which is also why we're probably going to be one of the first to come out of the gate after the pandemic, because I've got live shows on the books coming up in the next couple of weeks that we're going to execute uh, for folks. On the B2B side, I don't need to necessarily have an artist signed to our roster who's even toured before, who has an extensive you know, touring history or can sell X number of tickets in a market. What I'm looking for is the right artist and entertainer that I can put into each of those situations. And many times, that's an artist who's really never been out on the road before. And it's nice because we get to work with the big, big names like many of those that you'll see behind me here. And for those in the audio world, from Bob Dylan to Jimmy World to, you know, Little Wayne to you name it, I get to still work with big, big names because of our talent buying side. But I get to work with up and coming and new artists that want to just try and tour the college market. And they, you know, look at that as a way where they can get shows anchored on the calendar many weeks or months out and then go and play a little club tour around it. Or they can, you know, get a military base opening for a major country act that I can slide them in because I'm buying the Eli Young or the Lee Bryce or whoever artist. And then I can use my roster to add them on as the opener on that show for a military base or a college. So in my B2B space, it really allows us to look at any artist at any level and pump them into a system that we've got built that really can take any size artist, which is really exciting because I get to work with small acts and big acts all at the same time. Yeah, and you get to see the stars of tomorrow, I'm sure. You've seen a lot of people that started out small and they've blown up since, I'm sure. Booked many of them. I remember yeah. Sarah Bareilles' $200 show. I remember Brian and Tyler from Florida Georgia Line and Kevin Neal from William Morris at the time. And I, uh, or actually he was probably at uh, his own agency uh, that he had. And uh, we were doing a uh, Florida Georgia Line show when they were, you know, 10,000 or whatever it was. They, they, were, they weren't even out there on the periphery and crews hadn't hit the radio. So yeah, we, we get to see a lot of, you know, young acts as they're getting up through the platform. That's so fun. How many slots, I'm sure you, it's hard to put a number to it, but do you think it's, um, I guess I'm asking how many slots are there for newer independent artists? Is it plentiful or is it you only have so many? Um, to our roster, I would say it's unlimited. I mean, we don't like to play the throw it against the wall and see if it sticks philosophy. Um, you know, we want to make sure that if we're signing up an act, we're signing up an act that we can do business with. Yeah. Um, I, I, I look at when we sign an act as a major responsibility on my shoulders as the CEO and on the so uh, shoulders of my uh, agents here. You know, we, we've got to help feed that act. Uh, we've got to help book dates on the calendar because otherwise then they're just kind of a picture on our website. So we're probably not going to, you know, sign hundreds of acts in a given year because we couldn't possibly serve them um, and do them right. But I don't think we're limited by the number of slots. If we find seven great acts or 15 great acts, then we're going to add those to the roster as long as we think we can do them well and provide a quality service for them with booking. So really it's more driven by what, um, you know, what, what we want to bring on rather than what we need or, you know, what we think is going to be a limiting number. Absolutely. You mentioned you think you've got, well, you do have some shows coming up. You said, when do you think live shows are going to return? I'm sure you get asked this every single day. What's your professional <laughs> expert take? 
Yeah, I do. And, and I continue to be in clubhouse running panels on it. Tonight, we've got a, a great agency panel of some of the biggest agencies talking about it. You know, my, my commentary is a little unique, again, because we're already somewhat back um, and we're probably ahead of most, which is also a little daunting and keeping me up at night because it's kind of that feeling. And I hate to draw an analogy, but after Las Vegas, I had to really rethink how we look at security and safety and active shooter um, after the horrible events that happened um, where many of you know my friends were either at that festival or uh, on stage performing. Um, and you know, being in this new environment without drawing a direct distinction because neither are the same is you need to pre prevent people from getting sick and, and potentially dying. And there's a new set of responsibilities trying to now, you know, take the, the learnings of something of, of what's going on, but there's no map to how to do this the right way. You have to start again and rethink things. And that means trying to be the first out of the gate is building a map of something you really don't know what you're doing and trying to cover everything because I don't know there's a right time to go back out there. It's kind of like a dimmer switch. It's going to slowly go on. And for some, you're going to be on the front of the dimmer switch and others at the, the latter part. And I feel like we're at the front of the dimmer switch and it's a little daunting and, and nerve wracking. For me, uh, live shows are going to happen in the next couple of weeks. In fact, we've had live shows, smaller ones on college campuses throughout the pandemic. Um, schools that were doing it at very limited capacities and very socially distant, safe um, ways that I signed off on their safety and security plans. But now we're starting to get into spring fest for colleges and we're starting to get into the military shows with warmer weather as they get ready for July 4th. And that's a whole new size of artists, new size of capacity, um, new size of show. And with that, you have to set up very different looking COVID safety and security plans. And uh, like I said, it's keeping me up at night. The music industry as a whole, though, is going to look very different after COVID, as I'm sure you know, whether it be the supply and demand chain of every artist wanting to go out there, but only so many clubs and promoters and rooms being able to take them. There's going to be a different risk tolerance level by many of the promoters and buyers who in the past could take a chance on shows, but now they haven't had shows for so many months that they need to kind of look at their calendar differently. You've got many promoters and uh, agents that are no longer, uh, or folks, industry folks as a whole, but promoters and buyers and clubs that are no longer in the business, they've closed down. They never got to the point where they were back in business or funded by our new Save Our Stages Act or whatever the case may be. You've got a ticket readjustment that we need to look at and how those ticket prices for folks that don't have as much discretionary dollars. You've got an artist guarantee situation that's going to have to be resolved. You've got promoters, buyers, and others who have new line items in the expense sheet like PPE and plexiglass for you know, uh, uh, merch booths or the stage, um, you know, new stuff that's going out from getting people in like temperature checks. These are all things we never had to deal with before. So everybody, including us, is rewriting a game plan and rewriting our maps. And as I said, it's daunting to be out in front and it's going to take a while for our industry to recover. But we are resilient and a strong agency from the smallest artist up to the biggest, you know, guy uh, in a big chair here. And I think that everybody in the industry hopefully will continue to remain in a kumbaya type of moment 
where we're all willing to work with each other and help each other and create win-win deals, not one side winning and one side losing. That's how we're going to repair our industry a lot quicker. And it's how we're going to get back out on the road and start touring again quicker is if everybody realized that we need to continue to work together, even as COVID starts to wane. It's such a loaded question. And I actually love that you brought up Las Vegas. I grew up there and I had so many personal friends that were there and it was such a scary time. And obviously these are apples and oranges. Um, But I love that you feel the responsibility because, you know, when you're booking a show and the people that come, if they get sick, it's kind of everybody's responsibility. So I love that we're all in this together, like kumbaya style, like you said, I love that. Um, Do you think, because everyone is going to rush and probably be competing for venue slots and people are going to be booked months out in advance. Do you think we're going to see more package shows? Um, I'm not sure whether it's going to be more package shows, because keep in mind for a while, until the dimmer switch goes to a light switch and everyone's open again, you know, you're looking at smaller touring parties. You might be looking at less people that are sharing backstages and on stage and production crew and otherwise. So I don't think that loading more bodies into packages is necessarily the way we'll see first. Um, You know, some have said um, that the club's smaller capacity ones will be the first out of the gate because there's less people overall and they're doing smaller capacity shows. Others have taken a very different philosophy where the bigger sheds, as long as the weather is nice and the bigger arenas will have the first chance out there because they're big places and they can do shows of, you know, varying capacities. And so there are different philosophies. And I think you'll see some of both come up online as the dimmer switch continues to turn. But I don't know that you're going to see tons and tons more people, you know, piled into packages out on the road to do it, especially because I think, you know, while we're seeing recovery, or at least the announcements of recovery in the UK with last week, uh, Leeds and Reading announced that they are going to be open for business. Um, And it's one thing to announce that. And the second thing for the ticket consumers to buy it, which three or four days later, we saw an article, I believe it was in the Chronicle or, or the Guardian over in the UK that said that ticket sales went boom. And, uh, you know, the amazing, you know, recovery of people buying tickets at an outstanding rate but we have not seen that announcement here in the United States. We haven't seen a firm game plan the same way that we've seen it now in the UK. We haven't seen, you know, Lollapalooza and, you know, other, you know, Coachella and others say, yes, I'm on the mat for 2021 and I'm staying firm and I'm open for ticket sales. Um, we've seen the, 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 really the opposite. We've seen people kicking down, you know, to 22 at this point. So I, I think, um, you know, those are kind of the big package tours. Those are the kind of a lot of bands in one place. I think right now we're going to probably see smaller shows, smaller packages, probably first start up when it's safe to do so or when people deem it safe to do so. And then I think over time, you'll continue to advance those packages and, and hopefully the festivals will come back online very soon. Yeah, speaking of festivals, you know, I've heard a rumor, I can't speak to if it's true or not, but I heard a rumor that CMA Fest is going to do some sort of virtual event. I, I don't know, guys, if that's true or not. But um, what do your virtual shows look like? And do you think it's possible to do festivals on a virtual level? Um, I do. And I think that there have been many, you know, examples of it already where people have successfully put together, whether it was raising money for Save Our Stages or um, there was kind of a Couchapalooza type of 
uh, event. I forget the, the name it went under, but that was hugely successful in, in raising a lot of money. And uh, I saw, you know, Twitch do one uh, very early in the pandemic that I thought was a ton of artists and, and was done relatively well, especially early on um, in COVID. So I do think it's possible for us. Um, we, you know, we've taken a, a different philosophy with how we do shows. We wanted to build platforms that were able to do events for our buyers. Um, and so colleges needed a way to virtualize their spring fests or in the, you know, their fall, their homecomings and fall fest. And so we built a live streaming platform and there are some other very good ones out there. In fact, I think you were seeing many of the big um, promoters in our business, the, the purchase of Veeps by Live Nation um, over the last couple of weeks, the Madden Brothers company was an indication that virtual is going to be around or hybrid is going to be around for a long time to come. We built our own platform because we wanted to be able to twist our own knobs and do what we wanted with it. We also built an avatar platform um, with a uh, very successful software company who we're in love with and we love the software they had. And we worked with them to build an event in an entertainment space. But instead of just hosting concerts, we've been able to host conventions and conferences and meetings. And um, we're working on a speed dating concept and karaoke nights and fun things like that. So we've got that platform that, again, we can bend and do whatever we want with every single day and open, you know, concerts to people every night if we wanted to in that platform. So we had a bit of a different build of our virtual platforms and it's been very successful for us, but I've seen, you know, these festivals work with a lot of the companies and I think we should expect for virtual to be here for a long period of time to come. And let's not remember hybrid events, which everybody's talking about is this new phenomenon. Hey, when we go back to live, we're now going to have quote unquote hybrid where some people will be able to go to the concert in the living room and others will be able to be at the concert itself. And I keep reminding people that we used to have a TV station. I'm a little bit older, but Palladia TV, which was then, you know, re uh, I think branded as MTV live where we used to watch the biggest festivals, Coachella and everything else virtually in our living room. If we weren't at Coachella and that was a hybrid event, if you will, back in the day and a TV station made its entire business on that. So um, I, I think we'll probably just bring that full circle. And I think you'll start to see virtual, not just at the higher festival level. I think you'll see clubs and smaller venues that probably would not have done anything like that start to bring those online and build it into their infrastructure, which gets into a whole nother level of deal making and what it looks like. But I think that that's probably the next step of virtual. I love virtual. I mean, even as a kid, I was buying the John Mayer and the Crossroads DVDs of music festivals. So I'm not the only one. We all love the, the digital. It'll work. It'll be fine. Um, you've accomplished so much. What's next for you or Deggy? I mean, do you, what are your goals after you are one of the biggest companies doing this? Well, we, we still consider ourselves the little fish in a big pond and um, doing, you know, podcasts like this and, and other media that uh, attention that we've uh, got since COVID started because of what we've done has candidly been the first time that we've even stepped out from behind the curtain. Uh, we're very happy playing a quiet role in this music business and um, hopefully being an engine driver um, to help major agencies that we work with, artists, you know, at all levels, management companies and others um, because of the niche spaces we're in. As a company, I continue to see us getting into this IT and virtual space. It's why I started Deggy World is a new IT company in and of itself. It's not tied to our booking side of the business. And I think that that has legs for a long time to come in the virtual space. You know, we're seeing conventions that are able to do their events 
at a fraction of what they used to put their events on, flying people in and hotels and food and beverage. And now they can get the same content delivered in a very quality, immersive way through our Deggy World platform. And I think that that has legs for time to come. And I think we could host concerts, you know, through avatars in a very unique way in our platform. Um, so we'll continue to push, you know, the pedal down on the virtual and, and IT side of things. Um, I think our live business will come back stronger because we were very benevolent through this entire process, doing lots of free events for our buyers. Um, and I'm hoping they remember that. But we've also made a whole bunch of friends and new clients um, that we never would have worked with before because we got good in virtual. So I think that'll help our, help our live business out. Um, and I think we're at an interesting crossroads of, of the music business in general, especially the touring side. You're seeing so many faction agencies because of some of the layoffs and the furloughs at the major agencies. And so you see great companies like Mint Talent Agency and others that have now, um, you know, bore life. And it kind of went from, we used to be like that. There were a couple of major agencies and then tons and tons of kind of smaller agencies until the paradigms and the CAAs went and did deals to buy up and uh, merge uh, in some of those companies. And now we're kind of going back to a lot of the small players that are out there again. And where I see some excitement is uh, I'm not afraid to grow our agency. And I think that there are some avenues that we haven't touched on yet. I think that there's similar to college, military, corporate, summer camps, some of the niche businesses we're in. I think that there's another avenue of some niche businesses that I want to spend some money in and grow our agency with. Um, so for the first time, I think ever in my 25 years in the music business, I'm learning how to be a better CEO. Uh, you mentioned the importance of delegation. Um, I'm, I'm better at sitting in, in the C-suite in the chair and coming up with ideas to help my staff build this company rather than being the guy that picks up the phone and books every little small show every day. And I need to step back from that and build the agency concept out. And if I can do that, I think we'll be a strong company for many, many years to come. Well, that comes from years of, of having your boots on the ground and doing all the hard work. Now you can step back and see what needs to be done from a, an aerial perspective. Uh, it's just because you're an expert now. I love it. And I'm excited to see what happens. Um, just a couple more questions. Uh, once again, I mentioned that our followers, a lot of them are aspiring new artists and stuff like that. Um, let's say you met someone on Clubhouse and they want to reach out to you. They want to reach out to Deggy. What do you want to see from them in an email? Do you want to see songs, pictures, videos, social media stats? Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's a great question. And again, going back to our conversation before, really for us, we need an artist that can play our markets. So musically, um, age demographically, et cetera, they fit into the markets that we book in. And because we book into a lot of niche markets, you know, college and military, I said are the same. Corporate is very different. The PAC, Performing Arts Center, theater market is very different age-wise, demographically, otherwise. Um, and the summer camp market, which we book in, is, again, very different and trends younger. So I think we can we can look at submissions from any kinds of artists, um, really a video, a, a link to music. And if you've got some touring history, especially in the markets that we're looking for, those are very helpful for us. And then we'll do our due diligence like anybody else. But the irony is that, while I like seeing social media stats and I like to know what an artist has done in their career and what kind of fame or whatever they've built so far. Um, it doesn't drive our uh, interest in an artist. I want to hear great music. I want to see a good video that I can present to, you know, discerning buyers. Um, and I want a story or something that I think really fits in to really being able to sell it easier to my clients. 
Um, if that's there, then, then I think it's an artist that we'll consider for the roster. One quick follow-up question. Uh, is it all full band most of the time, or do you ever do, I mean, you mentioned Sarah Bareilles. Was she full band, or do you do solo or duo trio stuff too? Yeah, I mean, I think our markets accept everything. Um, Sarah was, I don't remember how she played that opening slot. And I want to say it was for Andy Grammer or something way back in the day uh, when I booked her as an opening um, from uh, Little Big Man or, or Paradigm at the time. Um, but we have singer-songwriters on our roster that do massive business, solo or duo out on the road, because it's an easy setup configuration for, let's say, a college to have as a noontime concert on campus or in their coffee shop and program in the evening. And then I think bigger bands, you know, might be for homecoming or for spring fest or for the orientation, big outdoor show at the beginning of the, the school year. Um, military bases, yeah, there are some singer songwriters in smaller setups that just had a military base today that's going to put in an offer for Thompson Square, but just do Kiefer and Shauna as a as a smaller setup rather than a full setup. So they wanted a more acoustic show. Um, so the nice thing is that I think we can take a look at any size act, any configuration from a, a one man band up to you know some big short sort of orchestra type setup, and we probably have a market that it fits for. That's awesome. There's opportunity for everybody. Um, okay, one final question. What's the best sure. advice that you've ever gotten in business or music or whatever? Hmm. Wow, that's or a tough that question. That you live by. I know it's a tough one, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I live by a lot of my father's quotes before he passed away, failing to prepare is equivalent to preparing to fail, uh, which was a quote he had passed on from somebody else. I don't know who the original quote he is. But, um, I, you know, I try to make sure that I, I'm ready and do my notes and, and are prepared to walk into every meeting, every pitch, every booking pitch that I do, um, understanding who's on the other side so that I can make sure that I'm selling the right thing to them. Um, I think sometimes you've got to, and this is something Clubhouse has taught me a lot of, even though I tend to be on a lot of stages, um, sometimes listening to other people speak and letting them finish will help you to take a pause collect your thoughts and give a much better, more uh, forthright and understanding answer. And for those of you who just going back to Clubhouse, it's, it's audio based. So you don't have a visual contact of someone. Yeah, they can tap their mic and give you a cue, but you're really waiting for them to finish their thought before you jump over the top of their audio, almost like a phone call where multiple people are trying to talk on the microphone at the same time. Um, so, so that's helped me a lot. And I, I believe in hard work and I believe in not expecting anybody to hand you anything on a silver platter. Um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that my parents provided very well for me and my family um, and my sister and brother. And I could have taken that for granted and been a, a kid with a, you know, a lollipop in my mouth. Um, but I didn't even go into the field of, of my parents. I built a company from college. I went significantly into debt in those first couple of years trying to build Deggy into what it was. Um, and while they meant lots of sleepless nights, I knew I believed in myself and I believed in my philosophy and eventually it would all work out and there are going to be tough days. And, and as musicians that you, you know, bring this podcast to, there's going to be tough days for musicians where you don't see yourself out of a corner and it looks bleak, or you have a terrible show, or you have a fight with a band member, or you're looking at your funds and finding a way, how do I pay the, the, the rent this month when things are not good? And it's those times when your back's against the wall that you should be at your best and you should find a way to get creative and pivot and dig yourself out and say, I believe in what I have. I believe in my talent. I believe in my skills and I will find a way to make it work. 
And I believe in, in hard work and extra hours and, and being smart, uh, but at the same time being willing to put in the hours um, to be able to be successful. And so I hope that your music acts and, and those that are out there listening um, know that you aren't alone. This is a difficult time during COVID. And as I said, I hope we remain to be a business of kumbaya and picking each other up and picking those folks who have had a tough time up and helping them out, which is why I spend so much time on a stage in clubhouses. It's the first platform where I can ever help. Where I First in my business for 25 years, where I feel like I can get out and speak to people and help them and give them a path or a contact or a way about them. And I hope we all look at each other and pick each other up rather than try and knock each other down and find win-lose rather than win-win. Yeah, I just, I'm so blown away by everything you just said, because, well, it speaks to me as a musician and I've struggled and it's tough and it's a tough business. And I'm really glad that you left us with some wisdom and some inspiration because you do, you got to just dig deep in those moments. And, uh, oh, my cat is trying to walk over here. Perfect. That's perfect. Um, Thank you so much for your time today. It's been super inspirational. I'm just such a fan of, of, I've been reading about you. I'm such a fan of the way you speak, your inspiration, the hard work you've put in. I love it. Um, I'm excited to see what comes of the future and hopefully we can catch up again soon, but I really appreciate your time today. I love that. And I enjoyed this. And uh, for anybody out there who's listening, continue to support her show and everything that Megan's doing. But at the same time, uh, you know, if, if you need help and you need somebody to reach out to, um, just come to the deggy.com website and find me on there and we'll do our best to do what we can to help you out. That's right. And come hang out with us on clubhouse. We'll yeah. lift each other up. That's it. Thanks. All the time. Right. Have a good day. Bye. <laughs>